in 2015, Warner Brothers released a movie called The Intern. Some of us may have watched the movie. Uh, the movie Intern had one expected character, and it had two unexpected characters. Uh, Annie Hathaway, she played the expected character, which is a character we can all relate to quite immediately, an extremely ambitious and highly skilled and perhaps even ruthless entrepreneur. Uh, it's a role we identify it because most of us are ambitious and we want to be successful in whatever we are doing in our lives. Um, this character played by Annie Hathaway in the movie is kind of the person we believe New City is called to reach. As a church uh, that is there in the city of dreams, as a church that's called to be in the city of dreams, our vision is to reach ambitious professionals and artists and, and help them and teach them, disciple them to serve the poor and the oppressed. So that's the lead character in the movie, the intern. But the movie also has two unexpected characters. Thank you. The first was played by Anders Bohm, who plays Ali Atwe's husband in the movie. And uh, in the movie, he has given up his career to be a stay-at-home husband to take care of their young daughter. It's slightly unexpected if you have to some. Uh, one expected character and two unexpected characters in the movie. The first one we saw is a stay-at-home husband. The second unexpected character is played by Robert De Niro and his usual brilliant self. And in that movie, he plays a 70-year-old man, who a retired person, who hires himself out as an intern and works as the executive assistant to Annie Hathaway. And one of the main narrative strands of the movie is how Robert De Niro deconstructs Annie Hathaway's wrong and unhealthy view of work and reconstructs it with something that's healthy and sustainable. In some sense, in today's sermon, I'm hoping to play the role of Robert De Niro to all the male and female Annie Hathaways out there. And I can relate to that because I'm personally, uh, myself, extremely ambitious as well. So this morning, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping to deconstruct our self-centered view of our work. And I'm hoping for you and for me to reconstruct what is a God-centered view of our work. And through that, I'm hoping to help us together discover the true biblical joy of work. That said, let's dive into the passage uh, that you're going to be looking at, you're going to be studying uh, this, this, this morning. The passage is from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. It's a parable. Allow me to read that up for us, and it's going to come up uh, on the screen as well. So the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go to the vineyard too. 
And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those, when, and when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who has hired the last the same as I gave you. Do I not have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious? Because I am generous. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is God's word. In my view, this is the most perplexing, the most difficult to understand parable that Jesus has ever shared. Here's this man who walks up, uh, a master who walks up, walks up to hire workers. He hires a few people in the first hour of the morning, which is probably around 6, 6 a.m., for a wage of one denarius. And then he goes and hires some more people in the third hour, some more in the sixth, ninth, and the eleventh. And at the end of the day, he ends up paying all of them the same wage. We are all offended by this parable. This parable violates our sense of justice. And even if we may not be offended, we definitely find it hard to agree with the logic of the master in this parable. Even if we don't have such strong emotions, at the very least, we find this parable hard to understand. What I'd like to do this morning is share a few opening thoughts, and then I want to unpack three things from this parable for us. The economics of vocation, the theology of vocation, and the joy of our vocation. The economics of our vocation, the theology of our vocation, and the joy of our vocation. Let me begin with some opening thoughts to help us uh, come to terms with this parable better. Obviously, this parable has to do with our work lives. This passive parable talks about work and salary. Now tell me, who is not interested about work and salary? All of us are. This is something that's close to all of our hearts. Even if you're an explorer, if you're just beginning to get to know about Jesus a little bit, or if you're just beginning to come to church, uh, I hope that what Jesus has to say about work and salary through this parable will actually give you fresh insight about who Jesus really is. The second opening comment that I want to make is, is this. The master begins working long before the workers. If you look at verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers. So the master has actually begun working much before the laborers have begun working. And this parable therefore is a reminder to us that all work, all human work is initiated by God. We work because it is God's creation purpose and God's creation calling upon our lives to work. That's what we read in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So we, you and I, as ambitious as we are and as passionate as we are about each of our work, we work because God instituted work. We work because God called us to work. And work makes, makes no sense apart from the one who instituted it. While this is true, the sad reality is that our work, in very practical terms, is the, perhaps the biggest area where we do not allow God to enter. Our work is perhaps the biggest area where we are most confident in ourselves and the least dependent on God. You know, when we are just caught up in the busyness of everyday life and the challenges and the, and the desires we have for being successful at work, in those moments, we all tend to forget God. Sadly, work is one of the greatest areas of our unfaithfulness to God. We have cut the one who created work out of it. It is God who gave the call upon our lives to work. It is God who gave the skills to us to work, and yet we tend to ignore God quite often. The third opening statement that I wanted to make so that we can kind of track with this parable better is this. We must learn to appreciate the difference between calling and career. The difference between calling and career. Deep inside, all of us have a desire to find our true calling. And when we think about finding our calling in life, the, the emotions that we tend to experience are very different from the emotions that the original meaning of the word uh, is supposed to evoke. In our cultural context, the word calling broadly kind of gets us thinking about self-discovery and self-fulfillment and, and self-actualization. Every one of us who desires to find our calling, we do that because we believe that if we find our calling, it will make us happy and we will live our lives joyfully to our full potential. Well, that may be true, that is not the original meaning of the word calling. The word calling is a pretty biblical word. It has biblical origins. It is originally derived from the Latin word vocatio, calling, or vocatio, that's why I'm using the word vocation in the sermon. Vocatio quite literally means summons. Vocatio is an order from someone to do something. In our view, in our worldview, in our cultural context, the word career implies an active choice. We choose our careers. That is not the biblical meaning of the word calling. The term vocation or summons denotes an external invitation which we must respond to. Calling is not a choice we make. Calling is a summon from God that we must respond to. It's extremely important to see our careers as a calling through this respect. It is a summon from God. In this parable, the workers, none of them, choose to work by themselves. None of them could just walk into the field and start working because they liked the work, because they felt it was their calling. No, they could work only when the summon 
came from the master. They were jobless till the summon from God came, summon from the master came. And so, if we are to truly, if, to truly find our calling, we must be willing to be summoned by God. We must be willing to submit to Him. So calling is not primarily about what we desire. It is even more so about what God created us for. It is all about what God has summoned us for. The question I want us to reflect as we dive into this parable is simply this. How are we seeing our work? Are we seeing our work primarily as our free choice, something that we have chosen, or are we seeing work as a summon from God, vocational call? What we believe tells us who is greater in our own view. Let me explain that. If I believe that work is a choice that I've made, Implicit in that belief is a faith that I am greater than God because I can choose what I want to do. On the other hand, if we stick true to the true meaning of the word vocation, which is a summon from God, then in that posture is humility. We are willing to say, God, my work is not a choice that I've made, but my work is your summon, and I'm going to gladly summon to it. What we believe is really going to shape how we are working and the kind of emotions that are going to be attached to our work. This principle of, of calling as God's summon, not something that we choose for ourselves, is best lived out by Christ Jesus himself. We've been reading through the book of Hebrews. We've just finished reading the book of Hebrews in our community Bible reading. I'm going to read out a slightly long passage from that book. It's a beautiful passage. It talks about the work that Christ has done. And this passage is going to help us see that Christ's own calling is not a choice that he made, but a summon from the Father that he obeyed. I'm reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. It's going to come up for us on the screen. You can track with me as I read this for us. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. That is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. This is talking about human high priests, not Jesus. Now this talks about Jesus. And no one takes this honor on himself. No one chooses this honor, but he receives it when he is called by God, when he is summoned by God, just as Aaron was. I think that's someone is not enough. In the same way, Christ did not take himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. The calling of Christ was not his desire, but the summon of God. That's, that's the key principle that I want to help us understand. Calling is a summon from God. Let me say this. To the extent we have considered our careers 
as our choice and not God's calling, to that extent, we have considered ourselves to be higher than and mightier than Christ himself, who did not choose his call, but obeyed the Father's Son. Let me impact what this for us. To the extent we believe that our careers are our choice and not God's calling, to that extent, we have behaved in a manner that's kind of even beyond what Christ did. Christ himself did not choose his, choose his calling. He obeyed the Father's summon. So it's important that we see our careers, the work that God, God has called each of us to do as God's summon on our lives. Those are some quick opening comments. And there's a lot to chew there. You know, I could perhaps enter someone right here, servant right here, and call us to repentance. Uh, call us to, to rethink how we see our careers. But I'm going to unpack three more points for us. Having labored on building the foundation to help us understand the parable, this is going to flow smoothly and quickly. The first thing I wanted to unpack for us is the economics of our vocation. How much is your labor worth? That's a question which is very close to all of our hearts. And that was the essential question of this parable. The guy who worked 12 hours felt, and we might say rightly so, that he must get paid more than the guy who came last and just worked one hour. And we find the economics of this parable quite disagreeable. To bring this, really bring this home to our hearts in our context, let me reapply this parable in a way that we can all relate to. Uh, I did some, tried to do some research on different salary levels in India, what different professions in India are I couldn't get hard data, but I found some data in the US, and I think it's quite relevant in the Indian context. So allow me to read uh, the data out for us. Essentially, I'm trying to say, how much do people in different professions get paid? We're talking about the economics of vocation. Doctors and surgeons in the US are the most highly paid professionals. They would make about 250,000 US dollars every year. Neurosurgeons are a class apart among doctors, and they would get paid about $400,000 every year. And then comes the IT managers, the finance managers, the marketing managers, and the lawyers. They would get paid about 150,000 US dollars. Teachers get paid about 60,000. US dollars and then the plumbers, construction workers, and all of them would get paid about $40,000. Now imagine if tomorrow there's a new law on the land which says that everyone must be paid equally. It doesn't matter if you're an MBA or it doesn't matter if you're a 10 standard sale, everyone is going to get the same salary from tomorrow. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a company, or it doesn't matter if you're a pune, everyone will be paid the same salary. If there is a law like that, we would all feel weird. It would be very unnatural for us. We might even actually lose our motivation to work. And the tension that we feel in such a scenario is similar to the tension that the workers in this parable are experiencing. The reason I use this illustration is to help us see something that we all deeply believe in. And I, I am going to submit that this belief that we all have is biblically wrong. And here's what we all believe in. Every one of us, without exception, we all believe that some professions 
are more valuable than others. We all believe that the work that the IIM MBA or the IIT IIM MBA, that's the best combination perhaps in today's world, we all believe the work that these guys do is superior and more valuable to the work that the urban carpenter who comes to your home to fix your furniture, we believe this, the work these guys do is a lot more valuable than the work done by a carpenter. We all believe that professions that demand higher skill and produce higher economic value should be rewarded and paid higher. To us, that is plain, simple economics. Is this correct? Is this how God does work? And if we were to really think about it, our entire paradigm of identity and sense of self-worth is built on the basis of the economic value of our respective professions. I would even go to the extent of saying that our careers are the new caste system. Think about it. How many times have each of us judged our, ourselves to be superior to other human beings because in our view we are employed in a higher value profession? I'm reminded of something I'm not very proud of, but I have, have to admit that I did it. Uh, that I did something many years ago. Uh, I had just got a job as the deputy editor, uh, deputy editor of a magazine in, in, in Muscat, in, in Oman. And uh, I was taking a flight from Mumbai to Muscat to take that job. And as I got into that flight, I saw the flight was full of people who I thought were below me. They were kind of the, the low-skilled professional. The flight was full of carpenters and electricians and you know that kind of factory workers, that kind of stuff. And I remember sitting in the flight and just feeling so proud about myself. Because as far as my eyes could see, I, because I was a journalist, a business journalist, was far superior to them. Shameful, I thought so. But that's what I, I thought. But is that how God views our work? Is it biblically, is these higher skilled, higher educated professions, are they more valuable in God's eyes apart when compared to these lower skilled vocations? And that brings us to the second point that I want to unpack for us from the passage, the theology of vocation. We look at the economics of vocation, we move here to look at the theology <laughs> Najee and I were in the US for this conference. We, uh, it was an amazing conference. We, we really uh, uh, enjoyed our time there. It was a conference where there was excellence in everything. The worship was just phenomenal. Uh, there was a man named Warren, uh, Warren Christopher. He was, he was leading the worship team. He was such a seasoned and such a sensitive worship team, sensitive to what God was doing. Each vocalist, each musician, they were, they were really on the ball. The facility managers who were kind of managing the facility, which could seat about 3,500 people, were, were, were excellent. Everything was going smoothly. The organizers were kind of keeping the logistics, everything, the speakers, everything was going smoothly. And then there were a couple of really amazing speakers. Matt Chandler, a man that I've really admired for a long, he was one of the speakers. Kyle Eidelman, again a great, great uh, 
you know, extremely well-recognized pastor and, and speaker and author. He was another speaker. And so the hall was full with all these speakers, but among them was a man named Michael. Michael knew everybody, but nobody knew Michael. And we would we'd have come back from the conference uh, not hearing anything or not knowing Michael at all, except for the fact that Michael was extraordinarily helpful to us. Michael was one of the security guards at this vessel. He was not the head of security, he was one of the security <laughs> guards in the vessel, where these 3,500 people had come to attend the conference. And Michael was kind of going beyond this job description. He was walking the extra mile, not just with us, but with everybody else. He was always so thoughtful in serving people in so many ways. He was constantly looking at people, really looking at them, and trying to see if there are any needs that they had that he could kind of help with, he could serve with. His heart was a heart of service and, and excellence. But all through the conference, nobody knew Michael. And even now, except if we hadn't met him, and if he hadn't served us in so many ways, we would never have gotten to know Michael. So I want us to think about these two men. Michael, the security guard, is one, and second is Matt Chandler, who was perhaps the star speaker of the conference. Imagine on the day when Christ comes, and the day of judgment has come, and Christ is standing, sitting on his throne, to judge Michael and to judge Matt Chandler on the basis of their work. Do you think God's going to look at Matt Chandler and say, Matt, you were the star speaker at the conference, you did a really good job, so I'm going to give you 1,000 bright brownie points. And, and Michael, you were just a security guy, you did a good job, you, you helped Anand, that's good. Uh, you were just a security guy, so for your work, I'm going to give 100 brownie points. Is that how God's going to judge Matt and, and, and Michael? You think that's what's going to happen? Let me, let me talk about how God might judge me. And, you know, God might look at me and say, you are the only Indian perhaps in those 20 or odd American speakers, so I'll give you maybe 300 brownie points. But you know what? Your wife really cheered for you. I mean, she actually told everyone that you were the best people in the conference. So for her cheering, I'll give you another 100. So 400 brownie points. Is that how God's going to judge our work? Let's go to comparing Matt Chandler and Michael the security guard. How is God going to judge the two of them for the work they've done, they are doing here on earth? God is not going to judge us based on the economic value of our work, but God is going to judge us on the calling value. God summoned Matt Chandler to be the star speaker. And to the extent Matt Chandler was faithful to God's summon to be the star speaker, God's going to reward him. God summoned, God called Michael, the security guard, who nobody knew, to be the security guard. And to the extent that Michael was faithful to God's summon to be the security guard, to that extent, God is going to reward Michael. God is not going to reward us based on the economic value of our work, but God is going to reward us based on our faithfulness to his summon and our excellence in it. You see, Michael was as faithful and as excellent in his career as a security guard 
as Matt was in his preaching, God, on the day of judgment, is going to reward both of them equally. Think about this. I think this is pretty profound. Think about the full implications of what I'm saying. Imagine on judgment day, Christ rewarding Matt Chandler exactly the same way for his excellence as he rewards Michael for his excellence. The star speaker, well known all over the world, being rewarded exactly the same way as a security guard whom no one knows beyond his family perhaps, who served with equal excellence, being rewarded the same way. This is a biblical truth that we all overlook when it comes to our careers. And this flawed approach to our careers, flawed approach to the biblical truth about our work and our calling and our careers is really messing up our perspectives. Martin Luther um, man behind the Reformation, he, he did some really cutting-edge work on, on the theology of vocation. He wrote a treatise uh, on, on the, called the Doctrine of Vocation. And he kind of brought back alive some of the forgotten truths of God's ancient word. And one of the things Martin Luther said is this. Vocation isn't so much about what I do, but what God does through me. Vocation isn't so much about what I do, but what God does through me. You see, vocation is what God does through us. How can what God doing, what God is doing through Matt Chandler be more important, more valuable than what God is doing through Michael, the security guy? They are both equally valuable. And that's the first point that I want to unpack for us about the theology of vocation in God's eyes. All vocations are equally valuable. We need to allow this to come to our hearts. It's not just us looking down upon people in our view who have less, who are doing professions which are less skilled. It's also about us looking at people above us who are more skilled and maybe better educated and maybe earning higher salaries. It's about us not feeling inferior. It's about us not being jealous of them. It's, not, it's about us not envying them. And so this, this deep biblical truth that in God's eyes all vocations are equally valuable, it's so important for us to have a balanced and right view of work. Let me just talk about one more implication. The word vocation, because it's God's summon, is not limited to careers. We think vocations means career, our work, not true. That's a cultural understanding of vocation or calling. The biblical view of vocation is very different. To be a husband is a vocation, is a summon from God. To be a wife is a summon from God. To be single, that's what God has called us to be in this season, is a summon from God. To be a father is a summon from God. To be a professional is also a summon from God. So to be a homemaker is also a summon from God. And so in God's eyes, 
the work of a, an entrepreneur, a highly successful entrepreneur, is the same as the work of a homemaker, as long as both are doing their summons faithfully and with excellence. That's one of the key learnings in this parable. The worker, the first worker was summoned at 6 a.m. The second worker was summoned at 9 a.m. and so forth. And each of them are paid on the basis of the summons from the master and not on the economic value. Each of those workers is paid on the basis of their faithfulness and excellence in the summons. That brings us to the third and the last thing I want to unpack for us from the passage. The true finding, true joy of our vocation. Unless we understand sound biblical theology of vocation, we can never find true joy in our vocation. Do you see this fierce conflict that is raging in every one of our hearts between the economics of our vocation and the theology of our vocation? We are all battling this. We believe, we tend to believe, every one of us without exception, the economics of vocation. We define, we measure our own self-worth based on the college degrees we have, based on the designation in our organization, based on the salaries we earn, and perhaps based on approximately to our respective bosses. What do we believe? Where do we stand in this conflict that is there in every one of our hearts between the economics of our vocation and the theology of our vocation? What do we believe in? Do we believe in worldly temporary economics or are we believing the heavenly and the eternal theology of vocation? You see, the world is constantly discipling us to believe in the economics of our vocation. The world is telling us, the world is telling us, your value, your worth, your significance is based on how high up you are in your profession. But God is discipling us to believe in the theology of our vocation. That is, no matter what God's summon is, no matter where God placed us, our value is based on our faithfulness and excellence in that which God has summoned us to do. This is so profound. When we do this, when we shift our perspective from away from the economics of vocation to the theology of vocation, we begin to see, as Roshan was leading us in worship, many strongholds, strongholds are wrong ideas, false beliefs that have set themselves up against God's value. When we move from the theology, the, from the economics of vocation to the theology of vocation, Biblical theology of vocation, then we find that these long, wrong notions are broken and we are freed to find joy in that which God has summoned us to do. Look at verses 10 and 11 in the passage. So, when those who came here, who came who were hired first, sorry, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a debtor's. And when they received it, they began to crumble against the master. You see, if we believe primarily in the economic value of our work, we will always be unhappy and grumbling. Because 
you know what, somebody else is always going to get paid more than you for doing a lot less work than you are doing. That is reality. Look around your office. There are people like that all around you. In such moments, we need to remember that vocation is a gift from God. Stay with me here, please. I'm going into the heart of the parable, heart of really understanding what, what we need to understand from this parable. If we see vocation as a summon from God, as a gift from God, everything changes. Everything is going to change. I'll show that to us from this parable. There are two variables in this parable. The first variable is how long each man worked. And the second variable is how much each got paid. And in finding this parable offensive, all of us have focused only on one of the two variables. We've only focused on how much each got paid. We've only focused on mere economic value. But if we truly believe that calling, that our work is a summon from God, is a gift from God, our perspective changes completely. If the employee hired in the first hour understood work as summons or a calling as a gift from God, he is going to believe that he's actually better than the worker who came at the last hour, worked only one hour, and got paid the same thing. Let me explain why. When we consider the second variable as equally important, this is how our perspective is going to change. Sure, the worker who came in the last hour got paid the same as the guy, he got paid more perhaps, but the worker hired in the first hour has the greater privilege for working longer for his beloved master. That's the second variable, the joy of serving God through our careers. Two variables, financial reward for the labor and the privilege of working for God, our master. Which of these two are you cherishing more in your careers? Financial reward or the joy of serving God through our work? This is the, the Robert D. Nero and the Annie Hathaway moment that I was hoping to bring us to. What do we value more? The reward we are paid for our work or the joy of serving God, our beloved master. The first worker who got paid the same as the guy who worked one hour, he had the greater joy, he had the greater privilege of working for his master, of serving God for 12 hours, but this guy had the privilege of serving God for only one hour. The sheer joy of working for the master is the greatest reward more than any financial compensation or even eternal reward that we might get. Can any reward be greater than the gift of Christ Jesus given to us freely. You know, Jesus often spoke in parables. The general perception is that Jesus spoke in parables so that he can make truth simpler and easier to understand. While that is true in one sense, Jesus also spoke in parables so that only the true disciples can understand and those who are just standing on the sidelines and are refusing to commit fully to Jesus cannot understand. Jesus often spoke in parables to keep the truth away from people who were not committing, who were not wholeheartedly following Jesus. 
And I, I know you might, you might be surprised by what I'm saying, but let me quote Jesus in his own words. I'm reading from Mark chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. He, Jesus, told them, the disciples, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. This is Jesus explaining a parable. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. That they may be ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Jesus quoted verbatim. I'm not making this up. I believe that the reason Jesus, God, in His sovereign will, according to His sovereign good pleasure, the reason God is unpacking this parable for us today is God is calling every single one of us to stop being mere passive spectators. And He's calling every one of us to be active disciples. If God is speaking to your heart this morning through this parable, it is God's call on your life. God is calling you to grow in a deeper relationship with Him. To grow as a disciple of Christ Jesus. And I think that's what God kind of laid on my heart during the time of worship this morning, which is what I came up and shared. And some of the greatest fears that we have is the fear of following Jesus, of giving our lives to Jesus. And this morning, in unpacking this parable for us, I really believe God is empowering every single one of us by His grace to put Jesus first, to live for Him first, and everything else will get ordered into our lives. I want to close with two quick thoughts. Look at verses 13 to 15 in the same, same passage. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has hired last the same as you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? Are we envious because God is generous? This thing that Jesus said, I want to read this out in the King James Version translation because it kind of brings it alive better. This is what the King James translation of verse 15, the second part of verse 15 says. Is thine eye evil because I am good? Is thine eye evil because I am God? God is helping us to see that the question here is not about higher salary and lower salary. God is inviting us to see that the question here is about good and evil. A good God who in his creation purpose instituted work for us to enjoy and serve one another, the goodness of God, and us in our sin, in our wickedness, in our evil inclinations, becoming completely self-centered in our work and seeing that as a way to exalt ourselves. Isn't that what our work is about? Exalting ourselves financially, exalting our reputation, bringing glory to ourselves through the success of our work. Is that not what drives us? The thing that God is calling us to see is not about higher salary and lower salary, 
is about a good God and every single one of us what evil. What hope do we have? How can we overcome this? How we break free of our own evil nations? I want to close with that thought. When we were in Dallas, we went to the Museum of Biblical Art. And in that museum, we saw this culture of Christ Jesus. Now just zoomed up on his face. It's actually a, uh, you know, about twice my height of statue. And when I saw that face of Jesus in that sculpture at the moment of his crucifixion on the cross, I did not see goodness. I did not see a beautiful son of God. I saw on the face of Christ my sin it is not a pleasant sight. It is not a beautiful sight. It is not a welcoming sight. It is the sight of sin itself. Not his sin, but your sin and my sin in our places heaped upon him. Christ Jesus bearing the punishment for our sin and our places. This verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 which captures this beautifully. It says, God made Christ who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this culture shows very visually that he became sin. Christ became sin, our sin, so that he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And so this morning, we have hope. We have hope in the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And not only do we have, have hope for forgiveness, but we have hope for transformation. When we believe in Jesus here and now, when we put our faith in Jesus here and now, He is going to empower us by His grace to move away from our self-centered view of work, to embrace the God-centered view of our careers and our calling that He has laid out for us this morning. Let us pray. Father, we come before you in worship. We are so thankful, Lord. Lord, this morning, even as we move into communion, we pray, Lord, that communion will be a means of grace, that your Holy Spirit will be a means of grace, that the preaching of your word will be a means of grace that is going to both forgive us and transform us this morning. We pray, Lord, as we partake of the strongholds will be broken, Father. As the party of the strongholds will be broken, and because of the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus, that we will be set free, set free to see our vocation as a summon from God and to move to a very God-centered view of our work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.